Welcome to Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and the mission to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts seeking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. I'm Jordan Rich, and this is our final podcast of the year, made possible in part by support from Blue Earth Diagnostics. We're taking a longer look at the topic of shared decision-making for prostate cancer diagnosis, treatment, and research. We're featuring Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition board members, Alan Snyder, chairman of MPCC, and nurse practitioner, Annalisa Baraka, as well as conversation with Dr. Wok Tran, who's a member of the MPCC Medical Advisory Committee. We start with Alan Snyder, who gives us a brief retrospective on his experience when he was diagnosed with prostate cancer nearly 25 years ago. A look back at the changes in the decision-making process over the years. What was interesting is that for years, my doctor, an internist at Mass General Brigham, he's now retired, but he was my doctor for like 35 years. Great doc. He was saying, well, when you're 50, you're going to have a PSA test. I didn't know what PSA was. So you know, I was I always had my annual physical in February around my birthday. So the first test was a six. And I remember him asking, you know, did you have sex the night before? And I said, no, but I've been having more sex recently. And the reason that question is, is that riding a bike sex, you know, the night before can stir up the prostate specific antigen. And so you could have a false positive from that. So he said, let's check it in a month. So in March, I had another blood test. It was still up. Maybe it was 5.8. I can't tell you the number. And he said, okay, let's monitor this. That was what we decided to do. That summer in July, I was trying to make a change in my life insurance. Northwestern said, geez, you know, if you could have a free PSA test, that can be more definitive in terms of the underwriting result. And I think that score was like 19%. Um, after that, uh, he said, you know, I think you should have a biopsy. I, as I recall, it didn't hurt that much. A lot of people don't like it because, oh, God, it hurts. But about a week after I had the test, maybe it was 10 days, I can't tell you, the doctor, a surgeon at Mass General, calls, leaves a message, said, you know, give me a call as soon as you get this message. So I knew that wasn't good. <laughs> when I had the biopsy, he said, probably only 25% of these cases are positive. Unfortunately, I was in the positive group. So he said, you know, why don't you come in? We can talk about it. And I said, okay, well, this is surgery. I was 50 at the time. So that's important because the younger you are, surgery is more of an option. As you get older, surgery is less of an option. So then I said, well, you know, let me talk to a radiologist. So I talked to a guy that's, you know, one of the top radiologists there. You know, he said, this is you know, what we could do. At that point, the decision was, if you did surgery first and the prostate cancer came back, it was much easier to do radiation after surgery. If you did radiation first, there's a lot of um, frying of the tissue or the surrounding seminal glands. And so having, you know, kind of a radical surgery after that, salvage surgery, much harder. So the results, it's better to do surgery first, then radiation. And so after having these two consults, I talked to my doctor and I said, okay, well, what happens if my, you know, Mass General is out of, out of the network and I can't go there? He said, who would, you, who would you go to? You know, which hospital, what doctor's? And he gave me a couple names, maybe just one name at Brigham and Women's, probably done 
2,000 radical prostatectomies. And I wanted to be sure that that he would do nerve sparing because I was recently divorced, erectile function intact, if at all possible. So the decision at that point was really pretty much surgery or radiation. There was no ultrascopic surgery. There was no Da Vinci robot. There wasn't CyberKnife. There wasn't, you know, MRI guided radiation. There was a lot of the stuff in, in the field now to get a more definitive location for targeted radiation and things like that. The robot, much less blood flow. So they can, you know, they can really check to try to save the nerve. So all that stuff that was, we're talking, you know, December, 1997, 24 years ago is when I had surgery. So mm-hmm. it was just basically surgery and radiation given my age and given that if it came back, it was better to do surgery. So for me, it was pretty easy, but it's a slow growing cancer. So, you know, I, I got diagnosed technically in February. Well, not February, I had the first high PSA I was diagnosed late September and then had surgery in December. Looking back 24 years from the time you were diagnosed and went through your procedures, how do you rate the technological and medical developments over that time? Well, there are a lot more options. The surgery option is probably better because they're using the robot. So, you know, it's you know, probably 80 or 90% of the surgeries are done by the, you know, Da Vinci robot. So it's still surgery. Radiation, you have kind of, you know, you can do seeds, you can do the cyber knife, you can have MRI guided. So there's variations of the theme that are much more precise and accurate. In many cases, it's a personal preference of men. I mean, sometimes same set of circumstances, someone will opt for surgery and someone will go for radiation. Someone says, I don't want to be cut. Some people say, you know, just, I'd rather be zapped. And so, but I think that it's, there's still a lot of, it's either or, there's some variations on the theme, but again, it's a personal preference. There's probably more time you have to spend getting information or sometimes, you know, there can be too much information. And then some people Mm -hmm. just say, Hey, I want to get, I want to deal with it. And other people are, are happy to wait for a period of time. And the thing that makes it hard is that you have the C word, you have cancer. So, you know, emotions come into play. So, you know, which is why it's always good to have someone else there when you go to a doctor, whether it's the radiologist, the surgeon, just to kind of, you know, hear the information, take notes, etc. Alan, you're a real success story done so well, cancer-free after so many years, and we're very thankful for that. What advice do you have for men who've recently been diagnosed? What would you like them to know? A second opinion is very important. Wherever you go to, that person should be as qualified as possible and has done as many um, of the procedures, whether they've, you know, they've done three or 400 of the Da Vinci robot or whether they've done, you know, they've operated on, you know, two, three, four, five hundred. I mean, you want to get a specialist that's done it a lot. That, That would be the most important thing. And In many cases, you know, I mean, radiation is harder because you've got to go back for, you know, like 25 to 30 visits, depending upon what type of modal therapy that you get. So there you need to pick a place that's easier to get to as a, or unless you want to, if you're retired and you wanted to just, you know, rent a place for a while, but, you know, a skilled surgeon or experienced radiologist is probably the most important thing, I think. Alan, thank you so much. Our next guest is Dr. Hwok Tran, who'll be speaking about his work on the Prostate Cancer Working Group, part of the Department of Public Health's Comprehensive Cancer Prevention and Control Network.
Let's talk first of all about the evolution in shared decision-making that's played out in his work at Brigham and Women's Prostate Cancer Program. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, maybe 15 or 10, even 10 years ago, uh, you know, the, a lot of patients would come in, uh, they would have a battery of routine tests as part of their annual follow-up. Some physicians would feel strongly that they should be screened for prostate cancer and get a PSA test, and if it was abnormal, they would be sent to the urologist. But in the last decade plus, we've come to realize that uh, not a lot of patients are potentially overdiagnosed and overtreated for prostate cancer. And we come to realize that prostate cancer screening may not be for everyone. Um, some patients, uh, some individuals may be at higher risk of prostate cancer and may want to be screened. And uh, some individuals may be uh, of advanced age, may not want to even really bother trying to figure out if they have prostate cancer. Um, and this is where shared decision-making is important. It's the, 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 the interaction between the physician and the patient in trying to understand what are the pros and cons of prostate cancer screening and then deciding together uh, what is the best course of action. And this process does require time, a little bit more time on the part of the physicians, I take it. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and definitely that's part of the uh, the difficulty, right? You know, in this day and age, there's so many things to look at uh, and, and uh, there's, we're short on time. Uh, we're pressured to see more patients uh, and, and sometimes it's, uh, we may not put in enough energy, I guess, in really discussing the pros and cons of, for example, prostate cancer screening uh, before the patient really gets the test and then, you know, the whole uh, snowball of, mm. of diagnosis and treatment and, and such that comes after if indeed uh, the patient has prostate cancer. Sometimes not doing something might be a better course of action than doing something. Absolutely. Um, I think we now realize that the majority of patients who carry prostate cancer will die with the prostate cancer rather than dying of the prostate cancer. But being such a prevalent disease, there are significant amount of men who die of prostate cancer. The difficulty, I guess, is for the patient and also for uh, his physician to really try to understand, you know, what's the likelihood of the, the, the individual being in one category and another, and then deciding if mm. they want to partake in the whole process to see if they have prostate cancer. So to answer your question, um, there are definitely subsets of individuals that we almost don't want to be looking for prostate cancer because the likelihood of harm is probably greater than any potential benefit that we would have from finding a prostate cancer. So that's the screening side of things. There's also shared decision-making when it comes to treatment. Share with us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, especially with, you know, our, the, 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 the diagnostic tools and the advocacy we've had about prostate cancer screening and, and looking for these cancers, we now find an increasingly large number of prostate cancers that are quite indolent, uh, uh, for example, low-risk prostate cancer. And many of these probably don't necessarily need treatment. Uh, so that's why it's extremely important to have a conversation uh, with your urologist to see if you know, this uh, particular cancer warrants treatment. Even so, if you decide that you think and you and your physician feel that this cancer needs to be treated, uh, there are different treatment options. And for example, for most prostate cancer, standard of care treatment options would include radical prostatectomy, so that's a surgery to remove the prostate gland, or some form of radiation therapy. 
And these two treatments have quite different side effects. Uh, and it is important to have that kind of shared decision-making to figure out what treatment is better for you based on your current quality of life, your preferences, and where you think you want to be, uh, you know, in the coming years. And Dr. Tron, we thank you for your participation in the Prostate Cancer Working Group, part of the Department of Public Health's Comprehensive Cancer Prevention and Control Network. One thing that we're especially proud in the Prostate Cancer Work Group of the Massachusetts Department of Public Health uh, is really recognizing the need for patients and providers uh, in terms of decision aids uh, for shared decision making. As part of the work group, we have developed a number of such fact sheets and decision aids that are available from the Massachusetts Health Promotion Clearinghouse and available in multiple languages, English, Spanish, Portuguese, Haitian, Creole, I believe. Uh, and, uh, and I encourage patients, providers, caregivers to really have a look at these tools because they're extremely well designed and uh, we're really proud of the work we've and the energy we've done into putting this together. Thank you, Dr. Tron. Our third guest is MPCC board member Annalisa Baraka, a nurse practitioner with extensive experience in shared decision-making. Here we learn more about the role of the nurse practitioner. I think when you are given a, a cancer diagnosis under the umbrella of urology, it's often insidious and often it leads to devastating quality of life effects then, but improved in the six or I'm sorry, the eight years that I've been a nurse practitioner, we've seen outcomes improved. We've seen surgical procedures improve and even imaging improve. So we're able to diagnose more quickly, catch recurrences earlier and extend people's lives. Can you just talk a little bit about how your role has either expanded or evolved over the years? Tell me a little bit about how your job has changed, if it has. So let's start with just being of a different gender. Mm -hmm. When you think of a urology provider, it's typically and historically been a male provider, but more women are entering the field. And when it comes down to patients, um, you work a little bit harder to earn that patient's trust. And then you actually be become the glue to the team. All right. So you have the surgeon, you have the nurse practitioners, and our role has evolved over time. We are now nurse navigators. We are practitioners within our own rights, uh, leading our own clinics. I think that the nurse practitioner role in a shared decision-making model clinic practice is pivotal to the success of the practice. It's a nurse practitioner that you will meet with that will take your history, sort of guide you and navigate you through this complex uh, environment from symptom to diagnosis to connecting you to the various services and follow-up care. My role in particular was very unique in the sense that I had my own clinics at the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. I supported um, a very well-known and sought-after urologic surgeon, and we worked together more of a collaborative where, you know, I would go in and we were seen not as equal. I'm not saying I have the same background of medical school and residency trainings. I would like to say we earn the trust of these patients and they open up a little bit more freely with us. They feel more connected to us and can explain where they are mentally with what they're going through and what they're thinking with regards to treatment goals and options. And it's men learning to adjust 
to talking about this with women. You say you've done well in that regard, and men are more comfortable as they get to know you, and certain men probably are comfortable right off the bat. Some can't wait. They, I come in, I introduce myself as a nurse practitioner, and they're like, oh, great, because I can talk to you all day. Sometimes the surgeons will come in, or, and they feel a little rushed or a little doctor shy, and they're not exactly open or forthcoming with the things that are premier to them, meaning, for example, their goals of care. The range of knowledge, too, that a nurse practitioner is trained and professional as you, including some of the bureaucratic stuff, you can handle a lot of that stuff is what you're saying. We're, we're there from symptom to diagnosis to management and just longevity of your care in the system. And we're literally your point person, especially when you talk about people requiring more than one subspecialty to get them through a diagnosis. So you have some people that will require three disciplines a urologic surgeon, a radiation oncologist, and a medical oncologist. And in order to navigate that person through a hospital system that's complex, it's the nurse practitioner's role to make sure that you are cared for, appointments are made, you can get to those appointments. Um, We work out a lot of the social issue in concert with your current medical issues. And is it safe to say that you want your patients to open up with questions? You want to have them communicate, ask anything. There's no such thing as a dumb question. I think people need to realize that you are empowered and you might be a lay person, but that's why I'm here. I'm here to let you know, and not just me, but your medical team, that surgeon, that oncologist, radiation oncologist or medical oncologist, we are here on the cutting edge of information and bringing this all to you. My role and my advocacy for my patients is to help them find that voice, to guide them in in asking the correct question. You know, a cancer diagnosis for a man, such as prostate cancer, has so many emasculating features to it, right? Mm. We're now asking a man that just came in or maybe was just found out to have an elevated PSA. Now he went through the biopsy and he has enough cancer that he has to have an intervention either surgery or radiation oncology. Now you're talking about having some quality of life dysfunction, such as urinary incontinence or urinary urgency, and or the biggest one for men, and I don't think one is greater than the other, different men have different objectives, is that of erectile dysfunction. You say that word and I literally have to chase them out the door. No, wait, come back. Yes, let's talk about this, but let's talk about what's important to you. And that is what the role of a nurse practitioner fundamentally is most valuable in this setting. You've given us hope and a a lot of connection here, but what overall advice would you like to leave us with? (sighs) Take a deep breath. It's not where you expect it to be. Choose your care team, but don't just run away. Come into the system. Don't be afraid to ask for what you need. And we will peer you or find yourself in a system that's going to surround you with the very best care in in the sense of supporting your goals and putting you first. Thank you to our guests, Annalisa Baraka, Alan Snyder, and Dr. Hwak Tran. And a reminder that this podcast is made possible in part by Blue Earth Diagnostics. To learn more about the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and to hear the Prostate Cancer in You podcast, visit masspcc.org. This podcast available on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google, Spotify, and more. This is Jordan Rich. Have a great day.